This program is made possible by the members and donors to the show. For details, visit the membership tab at bestoftheleft.com. Now, welcome to the award-winning Best of the Left podcast with clips today from comedian Lee Camp, The Young Turks, Le Show, The Onion Radio News, The Majority Report, The Tom Hartman Program, The Progressive, and The David Pakman Show. And a note for our listeners, listening to this episode may make you appear cooler than you actually are. Why the haven't we legalized marijuana yet? It lost its bid for legalization in California because they said it was a gateway drug. You've heard that one before, right? It's a gateway drug. It's a gateway Gateway to what? People don't smoke pot and think they need crack. They smoke pot and think they need cheese. Cheese and a funny hat, all right? And if you want to say pot is a gateway drug, you have to also say alcohol is the gateway to pot, and alcohol is also the gateway to... to Pissing on your friend's couch and vomiting in the back of a police car, which sounds a little more dangerous. So if you want to play this gateway game, you gotta say pot is the gateway to harder drugs, and beer is the gateway to pot, and back and back and back until you get to the original gateway drug, the original gateway drug, which was eating glue when you were five years old. You remember those giant buckets of paste in kindergarten? You eat enough of that you get blackout intoxicated, you wake up three weeks later in a whorehouse in the Mariana Islands with your pants around your ankles and a tattoo of the situation on your ass and everyone's calling you Crazy Carlos for some reason. I've seen it happen a million times. So if you're gonna do this anti-liberty war on drugs, a war on our own people, if you're gonna do it, if you really want to do it, then you better start where the problem begins. You better ban paste and have a war on Elmer's. And if you do that, there's gonna be a black market for paste because people need stuff to make this world bearable. Even kindergartners know they need a way to make things seem alright just for a minute. So if you make their glue illegal, they'll find another way to get it. And how many toddlers will have to get shot or jailed or stabbed or sell their kids into, 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 into prostitution to afford their glue habit before we realize there's gotta be a better way? Huh? How many? How, how many? how many toddler families have to be destroyed? Hey, this is Lee Camp. I hope you've enjoyed having my Moment of Clarity rants pumped into your skulls. If you have, you would almost definitely love my free Moment of Clarity backstage podcast where I discuss the topics of the day. You know, the little things like the corporate raping and pillaging of our world. I also have on fun, awesome guests like this lady. My name is Janine Garofalo. This guy. Hi, I'm John Oliver. Even sometimes this guy. This is Greg Palace, and I've got my zipper caught in Moments of Clarity. Free at LeeCamp.net, iTunes, Stitcher, or the Android app. Plus, there's a Moment of Clarity book for those of you who thought, I love Moment of Clarity, but I hate how I can't lick it. Well, now you can. The Moment of Clarity book and ebook, get it at LeeCamp.net or on most e-reader platforms. And remember, keep fighting and stay angry.
Mexican police just found uh, 49 headless bodies, and this was in uh, the city of Monterey. So it turns out that the war on drugs has been very successful. A few days prior to that, uh, Mexican officials also found 18 bodies. Uh, they were decapitated, and 23 people were qu killed in Nuevo Laredo. So, uh, you know, violence uh, is in full force in Mexico, so the war on drugs has been successful. Yeah, I think Calderon really nailed it. Uh, when he stepped up the war on drugs and went after the gangs, it didn't have a destabilizing effect at all. Uh, and it turns out that uh, this gang warfare, etc., related to drugs, totally under control. That's what Bush told me, that's what Calderon told me, that's what President Obama's telling me now. That's what the U.S. government's been saying for so long. They had a summit of the Americas. Uh, when anyone could see past the Secret Service sex scandal, uh, there was actual news, which is the rest of the Latin American countries going to America. We got to reconsider, man. There's decapitated bodies all over the streets. And the president said, yeah, in due time, my position on that might evolve later. But it's unbelievable. 62,000 people have been killed in Mexico since 2006. 62,000 people. Why is this not making headlines right now? Like, you'll read a few print stories about it, but really, 62,000 people, and no one's really questioning the war on drugs. Of course, there are great organizations like LEAP that are doing their part to inform people on what's going on. You know, we've done numerous stories on it. But for the most part, people think the idea of legalizing drugs is so crazy that they're just ignoring the story altogether. Look, uh, you know, I, I think that of all the people that are arguing against, you know, keeping drugs illegal... I'm the, the one guy who's most, we are, the most focused on this Mexico issue. To me, 49 decapitated bodies showing up in the street is beyond unacceptable, okay? And I don't know, I guess I never caught that bug where you're only supposed to care about your own country or your own local area. To me, 49 decapitated Mexicans is just as bad as 49 decapitated Americans. And I know that if there was 49 decapitated Americans in a street anywhere in the country. It would be like 9-11 all over again. It would be the largest news story for years. Mm -hmm. it, would be, it would be an unbelievable... It, if it just happened once, right? But it happens in Mexico time and time and time again. And I guess in America, we're like, what difference does it make? They're Mexicans. So if our war on drugs that we pushed onto them, and we pushed onto all of Latin America, who is now pushing back just a tiny bit... If that causes their bodies to get decapitated, well, sad day for them. I think the most disastrous part about this is not even the fact that we're not talking about legalization. It's the fact that we're not talking about it at all. There's no dialogue. This story is not on anyone's radar. And yeah, that I guess that's what bothers me the most, yeah, that it's become like normal. Well, obviously, there's people in Mexico get decapitated because of the war on drugs we started. Prohibition leads to gangsters. It happens every single time. It happened in alcohol. It's happening now with marijuana. But as long as Americans aren't getting decapitated, apparently the rest of the country, and especially our media, couldn't give a damn. And uh, that's part of what's sick and wrong with this country's media. And so we march on as if nothing is wrong, as if everything is hunky-dory, as if the war on drugs makes sense, and it hasn't created these grotesque gangs that grow larger and more grotesque by the day. And it's not because of the drugs, it's because the drugs are illegal, and hence people make a tremendous amount of profit by slaughtering each other in this way. These days of darkness, wish we'd known, will blow away with this new sun. But I'll heal 
Ladies and gentlemen, this is your brain on drugs. We've noted in, in weeks past reports that your brain function and your lung function are not negatively affected uh, by uh, low to moderate use of marijuana. <laughs> I know, it's so weird. Now comes this. Drug users hooked on crack cocaine may have inherited their vulnerability to addictive behavior, scientists claim this week. Researchers found that drug addicts and their non-addicted siblings share certain features of the brain, meaning it may be hardwired for addictive behavior. Scientists who scanned the brains of 50 pairs of brothers and sisters, one of whom was a cocaine addict, found that both siblings had brain abnormalities that made self-control more difficult. The study could help vulnerable people learn how to take control before addiction set in. The work by the University of Cambridge, oh, sorry, wasn't Oxford, also suggested that though they may be a genetic base for addiction, some people can overcome this predisposition to stay off drugs, although they might end up doing a lot of shopping. A study in the Lancet Medical Journal in January said that as many as 200 million people use illicit drugs worldwide each year. So we have to build more jails with the use highest in wealthy countries. Addictions can range from narcotics and prescription medicines to cigarettes, alcohol, overeating, and gambling. Alan, uh, sorry, Karen Ursch of the Behavioral and Clinical Neuroscience Institute at Cambridge led a team of researchers showing that both addict and non-addict siblings shared the same abnormality in parts of the brain linked to controlling behavior regions known as the frontostriatal systems. It's one of my favorite brain systems, as a matter of fact. Hang out there a lot. It has long been known that not everyone who takes drugs becomes addicted and that people at risk of drug dependence typically have deficits in self-control, she said. Your brain on drugs, ladies and gentlemen. Uh, so it doesn't hurt your lungs. It doesn't hurt your brain. And you're probably hardwired to do it. You're going to jail. You should have heard locked out jailbird sing that rock. Everybody let rock. Everybody in old cell block. Who's dancing to the jailhouse rock? Spider Murphy played his tenor saxophone. Little Joe was blowing on the slide trombone. The drummer boy from Illinois would crash boom bang. The whole rhythm section was a purple gang. It's the Onion Radio News. A drug addict is looking for a more enabling girlfriend. This is Doyle Redland reporting. Shortly after breaking up with girlfriend Karen Gulia last week, cocaine addict Rob Everson made it known that he is in the market for a more enabling girlfriend. The 28-year-old unemployed recording engineer says he simply needs more freedom. I don't need somebody who's going to be on my case all the time telling me I need to clean myself up or I'm going to die. I mean, when you love someone, you encourage them to pursue their interests, right? Everson added that he plans to intensify his search for a more enabling girlfriend as soon as he can get really, really high and find a decent bowling alley. Doyle Redland for the Onion Radio News.
Here at Best of the Left, supporting the good works of others is our entire reason for existence. Since the beginning of 2006, I've been making this show to highlight what I consider to be some of the best of the truly liberal media. Now I'm working on several ways to promote the best progressive activism around. Ruminate for a moment on whether you enjoy this show or consider its goals to be worthwhile, and if you do, please consider supporting this work by becoming a member for as little as $5 a month or even $55 a year at the membership tab at bestoftheleft.com. It's the donations of members that allow the show to continue and continue to improve. Thanks so much for your support. Yeah, it was a video I saw on YouTube, and a representative from Tennessee, he was questioning the administrator of the DEA. Yes. And he was just throwing out a bunch of questions, uh, like, like, do you think meth is as bad as marijuana? And It was Jared Polis. Marijuana is as bad as marijuana. And every time she, uh, she like, totally evaded the question. It was hilarious. Yeah, no, it was absolutely ridiculous. I did see that. Jared Polis... Uh, was was questioning the head of the DEA, and he simply wanted to know, do you think marijuana, because marijuana is, uh, is I think it's, they're all Schedule One drugs, do you think marijuana is more addictive than meth? She said, I, um, I think they're all, they're all illegal. Uh, is uh, crack worse for... Uh, a person than marijuana. I I believe all all illegal drugs are bad. Is methamphetamine worse for somebody's health than marijuana? Do you think it is more addictive than heroin? I think it's all illegal. Do you think marijuana is worse than heroin? More dangerous than About heroin? Time. I don't think any illegal drug is, is good. Is uh, heroin uh, worse uh, for someone's health than marijuana? Again, all I mean, either yes, no, or I don't know. I mean, if you don't know, uh, you can look this up. You should know this is the chief administrator for the Drug Enforcement Agency. I'm asking you a very straightforward question. Is heroin worse for someone's health than marijuana? All illegal drugs are, are bad. This went on for four minutes. For four minutes. Now, first off, this head of the DEA seems to me to be an idiot. And I'll tell you why. Because there's a ready answer. I, I understand why she feels that she doesn't want to answer this question. Uh, because she has a job to do. But this is the answer to that question, if you were the head of the DEA. This is the answer to that question. The answer to this question is, I am a law enforcement officer. Exactly. I don't, I don't make those type of subjective determinations. Exactly. That's a determination that needs to be made by science. And I'm not a scientist. I have read stuff for and against what you're talking about. Uh, and I don't know, and it's really, I'm here as the head of uh, as law enforcement, and so I don't, I'm not really in a position to say. But instead, she keeps dodging the question. She keeps dodging well, the question. I think it's pretty evident that marijuana is nowhere near as harmful as heroin or meth. And meth is a Schedule Two drug, and marijuana is a Schedule One job drug. But it's not even close. It's not even close. I mean, if this woman had a daughter or a son, uh, and maybe she does, and and Polis was to ask her, "All right, here's an option for you. Uh, your 
your child is going to uh, try a drug. Do you want that? <laughs> They're going to try a drug. It's either going to be heroin, meth, or pot. Which one do you want them to try? Uh, she'd probably say, uh, well, you know, they're all bad. For they're us. all illegal. So they're, they're all, all equally they're bad. bad. They're all bad because they're illegal. Unbelievable. But uh, I appreciate you reminding me of that. I did watch it. I didn't pull the sound. But absolutely a joke. Here we are, nine of us, five girls, four boys in a really nice hotel. It's raining and we just met, but I think you know me well enough to bet against my pride. So let's not waste this time we have and just enjoy the ride. Does anybody want drugs tonight? Drugs tonight, drugs tonight. Does anybody wanna do drugs tonight? Cause it's not like I'm ever not on drugs. Nearly 60,000 people in Mexico have died as a result of this war on drugs. However, the head of our DEA here in the United States thinks this, that this war on drugs has actually been very successful. Michelle Leonhardt uh, was appointed by the Bush administration, but reappointed by the Obama administration. And recently she was talking about the war on drugs, and uh, she basically said the following. She says, it may seem contradictory, but the unfortunate level of violence is a sign of success in this fight against drugs. Oh, well, that sounds good. I'm not surprised she's a Bush appointee originally. That's what Bush used to say about Iraq all the time. You see all this horrible, horrible violence? That means we're making progress. You see, because if they're fighting us, well, that means that uh, they're scared of us. And uh, that means that the government is about to establish itself. And, and that's why you're seeing the terrorists strike out, because they're in a panic and they're in fear. And it turned out that was a crock. And of course, and of course the violence didn't mean things were getting better. It meant things were getting worse. That's exactly what's happening in Mexico, too. But somehow they got to put a pretty face on it. So the head of the DEA is like, no, war on drugs is working. More yeah. violence equals success. Let me show you the pretty face, okay? The pretty face is 994 people under the age of 18 in Mexico dying between the years of 2006 and 2010. And they're killed because of this drug-related violence. Well, that's a very inconvenient fact for our DEA, who absolutely demands that the Mexican government continue their war on drugs. So if close to a thousand of your kids had to die for it, well, then I'm sure it just means we're getting closer to success. Let me just say something really quick. If you are the head of the DEA, you have the obligation and the responsibility to know everything about drugs, every drug out there, what, why is this drug illegal, why are you fighting to keep it illegal, right? But I just want to give you an idea of how unbelievably ignorant she is when it comes to drugs. Let's watch. Is uh, crack worse for uh, a person than marijuana? I, I believe all, all illegal drugs are bad. Is methamphetamine worse for somebody's health than marijuana? I don't think any illegal drug is good. Is uh, heroin uh, worse uh, for someone's health than marijuana? Again, all I mean, either yes, no, or I don't know. I mean, if you don't know, uh, you can look this up. You should know this is the chief administrator for the Drug Enforcement Agency. 
That, that never ceases to amaze me. As the head of the DEA, you should know that marijuana, even though it's labeled or, or you know, considered a Schedule One drug, is not as harmful to your health as crack or heroin. Well, of course, she does know that. She just doesn't want to admit it, because then the next question he's going to ask her is, then why is it classified in the same category? Why is it considered, you know, uh, at the first level of dangerous drugs? And she knows that it's BS, so she doesn't want to do, admit it. So she says, well, all illegal drugs are super dangerous. And I, golly gee, I can't tell which one is worse. And I hear that violence is a sign of success. Uh, by the way, Bush had appointed her, but actually Obama appointed her to be the head of the DEA and got her confirmed. Mm -hmm. Nicely done. Change we can believe in, going more right-wing than Bush. As an anti-consumerism advocate, I'd like to encourage you to shop less, don't buy things you don't need, and only buy the necessities from local, independently owned businesses. That said, if you don't take this good advice, then at least there's a way to shop that helps support this show at the same time. Simply click through to Amazon.com, just one of the major companies under constant boycott by one liberal cause or another, from the banner posted at bestoftheleft.com. Better yet, click through just once and bookmark that link to use every time you shop. Your shopping experience will be identical to normal. It will cost you nothing extra, but 7 to 8% of the cost of your order in soulless corporate blood money will be siphoned off and used to tremendously support the production of this show. Thanks for doing the right thing, whatever you consider that to be. It's my turn. President Obama's personal opinion on marriage equality recently evolved to the point where he came right out and endorsed equal marriage rights for gays and lesbians? The spillover effect of this presidential endorsement was absolutely massive. Groups like the NAACP, who had never before seriously considered marriage equality for gays and lesbians, came out and endorsed the president's position. 59% of African Americans today endorse marriage equality. 56% of all Americans. And both those numbers have grown substantially in just the past few weeks. And marriage equality, by the way, this rant is not about marriage equality, but just follow along with me and the logic of this. Marriage equality is good for our economy. In those states that have struck down discriminatory laws forbidding gay marriage, Revenues from weddings and other social benefits coming from people making long-term commitments have been significant. In Massachusetts, marriage equality added $100 million to the state economy. In Iowa, it was a $13 million stimulus. In Maryland, where marriage equality just recently passed, studies found it would boost the economy at $90 million. And nationally, the CBO estimates that repealing DOMA, the so-called Defense of Marriage Act, and legalizing same-sex marriage nationwide would improve our federal budget by $10 billion over the next 10 years. And there'll be more to come now that the President of the United States has come out in favor of marriage equality. There's also a political dimension to this that has tremendously benefited the President. The big fashion trend in politics right now is for young people to call themselves libertarians. Republicans who want to smoke dope and get laid. And libertarians totally support marriage equality, along with other gay rights like the right to serve in the military. As Barry Goldwater famously said, you don't have to be straight to shoot straight. So by endorsing marriage equality, the president grabbed a lot of new voters who probably otherwise would have been voting for either the Republican or the Libertarian candidate. And politically, that was an absolutely brilliant move. 
So, Mr. Obama, here's another opportunity. And, and you know, I, I know you guys are listening down there at the White House. Here is another opportunity to reach out to Barry Goldwater's new generation of young libertarians, and it will help our economy. It will help. In fact, it will even save the lives of millions of Americans over the next generation. And it will solidly nail down President Obama's election in 2012 by grabbing virtually all of the young Ron Paul voters. And that's for the president to do what he did with marriage equality with pot. To come out in favor of ending all federal laws that prohibit medical marijuana. Now, I'd, I'd like it to be, you know, decriminalize all pot, make it a recreational drug, you know, regulate it like tobacco and alcohol. That's actually what 56% of Americans would like. And that number has been growing exponentially. But, you know, I think we'd all settle to start with medical marijuana. I mean, just like with gay weddings, and, and see, that wouldn't be so risky for the president. Just like with gay weddings, medical marijuana will stimulate local economies all over the country. It's a new industry, and since pot is a weed, I mean, literally, it's a weed, right? It grows pretty much everywhere in the United States. Therefore, it's an industry that Mitt Romney can't outsource to cheap labor countries. If medical marijuana was taxed, it would represent a significant source of federal, state, and local revenues. And there's no shortage of good science showing that it would help millions of Americans with conditions ranging from glaucoma to high blood pressure to cancer. And by ending a good-sized chunk of Nixon's failed war on drugs and moving marijuana from the category of criminal to medical activity, we'd save a fortune on cops, courts, jail cells, and the lost tax revenue that vanishes when an otherwise productive person gets thrown in the slammer because of the pot laws. You know, when the president came out for marriage equality, he was preceded by the vice president who put the administration's toe in the water. Joe Biden came out and said, well, you know, it's fine with me. I don't care if people can get married, if they're gay or not. It's just everything. Is, you know, he, remember he said that? I think it was a meet the press. He said that. And everybody was like, oh, could the vice president just said that? You know, what's the president going to do? The response was absolutely overwhelmingly positive nationwide. Other than among the usual paranoid suspects. And they would have been paranoid. You know, the, the people who hate gays, they, 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 they did their usual predictable thing. But everybody else was like, oh, really? The vice president said that? And then the president stepped into that space. And he started what will be the end of generations of bad law. Bad laws that forbid same-sex marriages. And he's ushering in an era, and it will happen. In this generation, a renaissance of personal rights and freedom here in the United States with regard to marriage. So let's do the same with regard to medical marijuana. Now is the time. Just like Joe Biden opening the possibility of the conversation, another national figure seriously began the conversation yesterday. Newark Mayor Cory Booker who's always been well-known, but was really catapulted to national A-list prominence by his gaffe on last Sunday's right-wing TV show, Face the Nation. He has come out in support of Barry Goldwater's position on medical marijuana. Booker tweeted, I'm with you on medical marijuana, and New Jersey should do more to make it real for those who need it. And interestingly, the same percentage of Americans who favor marriage equality also favor, favor legalizing medical marijuana. So President Obama... We need your leadership again on an issue that's really hitting millions of Americans 
really hard. There are literally lives in the balance. And there's a tremendous upside to you as a politician in taking this bold step because you'll bring millions of young people who think that they're libertarians over to your side. So please, Mr. Obama, use the bully pulpit of the White House to call for an end to Nixon's failed war on drugs and to push for the very real medicine of marijuana to be used as nature intended, as a medicine. It's the Onion Radio News. A guy is just totally smoking weed on the street. This is Doyle Redland reporting. University of Wisconsin graduate student Danny Lindner reported today that he was absolutely shocked to see a guy just totally smoking pot right out in the open on the street in front of everyone. Lindner had this to say. This dude was like just walking down the sidewalk, puffing on a joint right out in the open. I can totally smell it, man. It was so awesome. Sources report that Lindner went on for several hours about how casual the guy appeared to be and that it was broad daylight and everything. Doyle Redland for the Onion Radio News. The mission of this show is to aggregate and amplify the best voices of the truly liberal media, and now you can play a critical role in helping fulfill that mission. I pick out the best clips I hear to share with you, and now you can do just the same thing extremely easily. Now available at bestofleft.com, each clip I play is made available individually with simple buttons that allow you to share your favorites on your networks through Facebook, Twitter, by email, and beyond. By myself, I can amplify this content to thousands of people, but collectively, we have the potential to reach millions. No kidding. Become your own media activist by taking one minute to share your favorite content a couple of days each week, help more people plug into the truly liberal media, and be an integral part of this extremely virtuous cycle. Thanks so much for your help. It's time, it's long past time to legalize marijuana. Hell, even Pat Robertson thinks so, and I don't think he's been hitting the bong lately. Marijuana is much, much less harmful than alcohol and tobacco. In fact, marijuana has positive medical properties that those other drugs don't. And let's face it, the war on drugs has been an abysmal failure. Here in the U.S., it's led to the incarceration of a huge chunk of the young African-American population. Blacks are more than three and a half times more likely to be arrested for mere possession of marijuana than whites, even though consumption rates are about equal. In some cities like L.A., blacks are seven times more likely to be picked up for it. Police are arresting 750,000 people in America every year for mere possession. That's more than the total number of people they're arresting for violent crimes. What a waste of police resources and of human lives. 
then there's the insidious effect that the war on drugs is having throughout Latin America and especially in Mexico. So long as marijuana is illegal here, it fuels the drug gangs that have turned Mexico into a failed state. More Americans favor legalizing marijuana than oppose it. The latest Rasmussen poll puts it at 47.42 in favor. Gallup had it at 51.46. The people, once again, are way ahead of the politicians. I'm Matt Rothschild, and that's how I see it. So uh, Mario Cuomo, and perhaps uh, one of the few good things that this guy has done in office. I'm not a particular fan of, uh, did I say Mario? Andrew Cuomo. Oh, how far the apple has fallen. Andrew Cuomo, um, in one of the few positive things he's done in office, has called for the decriminalization of the public possession of 25 grams or less of marijuana. What does that translate into? I grew up in an era where, you know, the idea of talking about pot in grams was, was ridiculous. Even though we actually, they tried to force the metric system on us as uh, kids. I don't know, could, could someone do that conversion? Do 25 grams, find out what that is. If you possess marijuana privately, it is a violation, like a ticket. If you show it in public, it's a crime. And the reason why this is necessary is because of all the pushback on stop and frisk. Like I've said before, if you are an African-American uh, male, ages 15 to 20, or 24, the chances of you not getting stop and frisked if you live like in Brooklyn or in Queens, it's virtually nil. No matter what you're doing, what time of day it is, if you, if you walk around in public. And many of these kids or young adults, if they have a little bit of marijuana, what is 25 grams converted? So it's a little bit less than an ounce. If you have any of that amount, you automatically are uh, a criminal. And so it, of course, pushes a lot of uh, young African-American and Hispanic uh, kids into the criminal justice system. And so this is a good policy because, I mean, we've had presidents who I'm sure have possessed under 25 grams of marijuana. Yet they can go on to become president because they're not subject to uh, stop and frisk at any moment of their lives and get into the criminal uh, justice system. If I was president, uh -huh. I'd get elected on Friday, assassinated on Saturday, buried on Sunday, they go back to work on Monday. If I was president, if I was president, if I was president, yeah. Instead of spending Billions on the war, 
GQ magazine uh, published a very questionable article today about how Obama will probably do something about the war on drugs in his second term should he get reelected. Yeah, that's a good one. But no. look, is that just funny? It's I. I read the article and I still don't know what he would do. No, but that's that's the problem that I have with the article because first of all, it doesn't name any sources. Okay, all it says is uh, ongoing discussions with Obama aides and associates. So it doesn't name anyone specifically. Okay, so either they're making this story up or it was fed to them by the Obama administration, and it Definitely. doesn't specify whether he's going to be more aggressive in this fight against drugs or if he's against the war on drugs and he wants to end all the raids. Now, given his track record with the war on drugs, I would assume that if he does anything with the war on drugs, he'd be more aggressive in promoting it. Yeah, and since they say we're going to do something with the war on drugs, you almost have to assume that the something is what he was already doing, which is cracking down on drug dispensaries, getting tougher with the war on drugs. You know, like, what, are we supposed to believe that all of a sudden that something would magically turn to no, I'm going to let the states do what they think is right, and I'm not going to bother states that have marijuana as legal, medically or otherwise? No. And, why, and so this is, you know, i got to be honest with you, I'm really disappointed with the article. And it, I feel like the beginning of the article, which talks about the Obama administration, was just a hook to get the readers interested in what they really wanted to write about. And what they really wrote about was this new documentary called The House I Live In, which, by the way, sounds like a great documentary. But I don't know. Are people willing to read about a documentary? Probably not. So they're like, let's hook them with this ridiculous No, thing. no. I like the documentary. I like what they're saying about that. But I'm really disappointed in the article because what it sounds like they're doing is they had a source inside, not even the administration necessarily, but the campaign, that said, hey, we need young voters. So let's pretend we're going to do something on the war on the drugs. But we don't want to actually go on the record and say that we would not fight the war on drugs, you know, viciously, because then the Republicans would use that against us. So give us the best of both worlds. Lie to your audience as if we're on their side to get young people to vote. But don't actually say anything, because then that might get, that might turn off Republicans or independents and right. have them vote against us. So can you please do our bidding in writing this ridiculous article that has no basis in reality? And here, Mark Ambiter has said, apparently, yes, I will do that. And I, I don't think he should have. I think it's terribly misleading. And here's my level of confidence that Obama is going to do anything rational about the war on drugs in the second term. None. Zero. There's no evidence to that effect. All the evidence to the, is to the exact contrary. He's been even tougher than Bush in these drug raids, etc. He renominated the person Bush didn't even get to be confirmed as the head of the DEA. Uh, he got confirmed with this massive right winger who we showed you in testimony just last week said marijuana or heroin, which one's worse? I don't know. Ridiculous. That's the person Obama picked and that's the person he'll pick in the second term because see, there ain't going to be no change. There's a change in the first term. There ain't going to be change in the second term unless it's to get more right wing on this issue. So don't believe the hype for a second. Guys, if you use Toad, then I'm telling you, you can kiss your life goodbye. Yeah, when you use Toad, it'll mess you up. It'll make your mama cry, that's no lie, you'll choke on your tongue and die, gotta give it up. 
give up the toenail. It's no joke, buddy, give it up. Or you'll croak, buddy, give it up. And don't smoke, or you'll see it hurts to pee. There'll be blood gushing from ya every time that you cough. And forget getting lucky, it falls off. Yeah, you better wise up. Cause I'm telling you, Toad is what Lando forbids. Gotta give it all up, or you're gonna see. Your whole life will hit the skids, and your kids will be born without eyelids. Gotta give it up. Give it up. Give up the toad now. Hey, you know how we always talk about we're, we're losing the war on drugs? In other words, we have overcrowded prisons. We still have incredibly high abuse rates for drugs, addiction rates, uh, crime as a result of drugs, etc. We've, we've talked about this so many times, Lewis. Mm -hmm. I got an interesting email, though, from an audience member, Eric, who said, you know, when you talk about the war on drugs failing, it's actually not true. The war on drugs is a success. Hear me out. The purpose of the drug war never was to limit drug usage. Its purpose was to criminalize minority communities, for one, and that has been a massive success. We see that the vast majority of police in black and Latino areas uh while the majority of drug usage is in white areas, see the Partnership for a Drug-Free America for information. So if this is truly a war on drugs, then why aren't there thousands of police patrolling my community, and why are one out of every three black men in prison instead of one out of every three white men, which statistically would make more sense? So this is an interesting concept. Maybe the drug war is being won in the sense that we have huge, huge, huge government spending on alcohol, tobacco, and firearms, DEA, FBI is involved in, in, in drug stuff as well. We have drug smuggling as a business that is taking place. We have people in prisons, many of which are for-profit prisons as a result of nonviolent drug-related offenses. So it's true. If, if we for a second think about the fact that maybe we don't believe the idea of the war on drugs is just to limit the usage of drugs. It's to create this prison industrial complex, also including government agencies, operations, staff, programs, maybe the war on drugs is actually a success based on what it is actually meant to do. Right. Well, then it's not really a war, is it? Because war, by definition, you, you win or you lose, right? Okay. So I would say, is this a success or a failure? Has the war on drugs succeeded or failed? Well, that's what I'm saying. We were assuming that a successful war on drugs means there's no more drugs being used or mm -hmm. there's no more drugs around. Right. But what I'm saying is I think we've, we've been looking at it wrong. I think a successful war on drugs from the point of view of the government agencies that are involved in fighting the so-called war. It's prosperous. It's actually prosperous. People are making money. Mm -hmm. Lawyers, prisons, uh, 
It, the, the amount, the prison industrial complex is doing incredibly well, as we see from prison overcrowding. And we also have what some would consider to be a very racial or racist component to the war on drugs, which is a significant overrepresentation in prisons of, of minorities, particularly black and Latinos. Mm -hmm. So may, do you think the war on drugs is actually winning, Natan? I mean, do you even believe when we always talk about the, the, the war on drugs is a war to stop the usage and availability of, of drugs? That just doesn't seem to be the case. He's not, he's not even on mic. It's incredible. Yeah, I don't know really what to say. I mean, if it's the case that some people are planning, the people who plan the drug war, their intention was to imprison minorities, that's a pretty big, you know, app. Then, that's then, a conspiracy. Then it's a huge success. I mean, that's a pretty big accusation. Either it's true or it's not. I mean, well, I, it, I don't think that it's like that. I don't think that it's like that. I think it doesn't have to be that people sit down and say, let's put black people in prison because that'll make others feel safer. I think it's, it's, it's implicit in the discussions about, quote, cleaning up the streets. All of those things, it's, it's under the radar. It's not so much explicit. So I don't know that it's an accusation that can be proven or disproven per se. It's what's implied by it. Car was told at nine this morning. Minneapolis, I need more warning. Clean up. Street clean up. To the end pump of the rest of the city. This part of town is awfully filthy. Clean up. Street clean up. Making this dinner was never the still faithful. Don't have the option to go out as often We're going to clean up And now the battle to legalize medical marijuana is heating up across the country Our Onion News Network medical correspondent Alex Edelman filed this report about the controversial issue Thanks, Brooke. To some, smoking marijuana to relieve pain sounds like an idea thought up by Bob Marley, not a doctor. But the push to legalize marijuana is gaining momentum. And doctors say these prescription doobies will do a whole lot more than just give patients a case of the munchies. Proponents are piping up to say that medical marijuana can help patients with some of the chronic illnesses that have been majorly killing their buzz. To those who are sick and dying, this may be very groovy news indeed. Prescribing medical marijuana to patients with terminal illnesses is often preferable to more traditional forms of pain management. Unfortunately, 36 U.S. states are still not a kind bud of the legalization argument. But in states that do have the plan, the results have been, well, pretty far out, man. To help him cope with the total bummer of stomach cancer, Fred Galen took the trippy advice of his doctor and sought out the second opinion of Dr. Feelgood. Hey, high five. How's that girlfriend of yours? Girlfriend? Mary Jane, helping you take the edge off of cancer? Yes, actually marijuana is making my final months much more comfortable. Oh yeah, I bet. What a long, strange trip it's been, huh? What do you mean, cancer? Cancer. Yeah, it has. Even though I'm dying, the states still say they might prosecute me. And, um, it's crazy. It's not fair. It's reefer sadness. Patients nationwide are bluntly asking state legislatures to finally mellow out and let them score some primo prescription pot so that they and their doctors can work jointly to stop the suffering that's making a hash of their lives.
So it's clearly an issue that means a lot to these patients. It is, Brooke. So states shouldn't choke their time with this policy. We'd be upset if patients had to wait a bong time. Thank you, Alex. It's interesting to learn that marijuana can help patients by getting them high. You wouldn't think that a drug could act as a medicine for cancer. She's got you high and you don't even know yet. She's got you high and you don't even know yet. The sun's in the sky, it's warming up your bare legs. And you can't deny you're looking for the sunset. She's got you high and you don't even We have been arguing on the Young Turks to decriminalize not just marijuana. I personally have been saying decriminalize all the drugs. Now, everybody here at the staff has different opinions. Everybody agrees overall that we should decriminalize marijuana, but different opinions on drugs. I said do them all because I, I, as long as you make them illegal, there's going to be a black market. There's going to be gangs for it. It doesn't help, right? Now, it turns out, of course, that one country at least tried this. And back in 2001, Portugal decriminalized all drugs. Now, we've talked to you about the Portuguese experiment before and that it seemed that it was going well with the numbers. Well, a new report is out. After 11 years of this experiment, how has it gone so far? Well, the numbers are in and they are astounding. Now, we were told by all the fear mongers, my God, if you decriminalize it, then the drug use is going to run rampant. Well, what about all these poor kids who suffer from drug abuse and their families, etc., etc.? You're condemning them to a worse fate, etc. And we said, hey, listen, if you decriminalize, it doesn't necessarily mean that the numbers are going to get worse. They might even get better. I think they would. So what happened in Portugal? They got better. But they didn't just get a little better. They got much better. So, first of all, in the previous 10 years, the number of drug addicts being treated has dropped by half in Portugal. They cut the rate by 50%. What happened? I thought it was supposed to go up. No, there's far less drug addicts. And if you think that's an impressive number, drug-related diseases, including STDs and overdoses, have been reduced by an even greater number. So we knew that those numbers might be better if the government didn't criminalize it and, and treat it as some sort of thing that you should be locked up for for usage, right? And But it turns out even the addiction rates have gone down dramatically and now the drug usage rate in Portugal is among the lowest in the EU. It was a stunning success. Now the question for the rest of the world and particularly for the United States of America is are we going to learn from facts? These people tried it, it worked, decriminalization works, you get less drug addicts, not more. Or are we going to be, as usual, stubborn and say, No, America number one, whatever we do by definition must be the greatest. Oh, Europe, we're not going to listen to Europe. All right, well, if we're going to actively choose to be stupid, then we get everything we deserve. But I think we should actually listen to facts and adjust our strategy. The war on drugs is a horrible, abysmal failure. It's time to end it. It's time to decriminalize these drugs so that we have less gang warfare, less killing, 
less people locked up for no reason, and actually less drug addicts. You might remember back in May when Vice President Joe Biden went on Meet the Press to talk about equality, marriage equality in the United States. Here's what Joe Biden had to say. I am absolutely comfortable with the fact that men marrying men, women marrying women, and heterosexual men and women marrying women are entitled to the same exact rights, all the civil rights, all the civil liberties. And quite frankly, I don't see much of a distinction uh, beyond that. Now, keep in mind, you know, President Obama had not said anything like that. So whether he meant to or not, by coming out in support of marriage equality before the president had, Joe Biden forced President Obama's hand, and just three days later, Obama himself was ready to make the same proclamation. Here it is. For me personally, it is important for me to go ahead and affirm that uh, I think same-sex couples should be able to get married. And with that, the president pulled the United States into the 21st century, endorsing equal rights to married couples regardless of their sexual orientation. He also picked up a lot of support, both money, volunteers, and votes from the LGBT community. So thanks, Vice President Joe Biden. But now it's time for the president to stand up for another important issue. And just like the way the vice president, Joe Biden, forced President Obama's hand on marriage equality, a different vice president, or I should say a vice presidential nominee, may be forcing his hand on this issue, too. Paul Ryan was in Colorado recently, a state that's poised to become the first in the nation to legalize and regulate pot. And Ryan was asked by a local news affiliate what his views were on medical marijuana. And here's what he had to say. One of those questions you wanted him to answer was about medical marijuana. Medical marijuana is a hot-button issue here in Colorado and across the nation. It's up to Coloradans to decide. So even the federal platform says marijuana is illegal, you're saying... Look, my, my personal position on these issues have been let the states decide what they want to do with these things. Let the states decide. As in, if the states vote to legalize medical marijuana, then Paul Ryan is okay with that. That makes vice presidential nominee Paul Ryan the first candidate for the executive branch in the history of the United States to say that the feds should stop their crackdown on medical marijuana when it's legalized by the states. It also puts Ryan at odds with both President Obama, who has used his Department of Justice to crack down on medical marijuana facilities that are legally operating under state laws, and with at odds with his own presidential candidate, Mitt Romney. But back to President Obama. President Obama's Justice Department has conducted nearly 200 raids on marijuana facilities, roughly the same number conducted during George W. Bush's eight years in office. Obama's been in office fewer than four. And those raids have occurred in nine of the 16 states, plus the District of Columbia, that have already passed medical marijuana law, leading to 61 federal indictments, all since October of 2009. So somehow the president has allowed Paul freaking Ryan 
to get the jump on him on an issue with huge support among America's younger voters, particularly those who think that they're libertarians. Yeah, I make this joke, libertarians are Republicans who want to smoke dope and get laid. Well, here you go. Which means it's time for the president to have a Joe Biden moment, to wake up and change course on this issue. The election itself might be at stake. I mean, consider this. There are two third-party candidates running this election who could each pull a lot of votes from Americans who are upset with Nixon's failed drug war, in particular the crackdown on marijuana, medical marijuana. Both Gary Johnson with the Libertarian Party and Jill Stein with the Green Party support legalizing mer- medical marijuana. And between the two of them, Gary Johnson and, and Jill Stein are polling at around 5% right now. And right now the Romney-Ryan ticket may be peeling off those voters because Ryan has come out in favor of dec- federal decriminalization of medical marijuana. That's a hell of a lot of votes. And considering presidential elections are rarely decided by a 5% sp- split, then it's politically important. It's vital for President Obama to make a play for some of those supporters. He should come out and just say, okay, you know, if a state wants to have medical marijuana, we're not going to go into that state and bust people. I mean, it, politically, it's the right thing to do, and morally, it's the right thing to do. Medically, it's the right thing to do. So one of the best ways he can do that right now is by right now coming out in full support of mar- medical marijuana and ordering his Justice Department to stop any future crackdowns. This is really a no-brainer. A recent poll shows that 74% of Americans want the president to respect state laws when it comes to medical marijuana. Only 15% of Americans agree with the president that federal resources should be used to crack down on medical marijuana. If the president thinks he can afford to ignore these polls or let Paul Ryan scoop up the medical marijuana vote, then in my humble opinion, he is making one huge mistake. Hi, this is uh, a first-time caller, a long time, uh, new, recently new listener. Uh, my name's Kevin. I'm from uh, Helena, Montana. And I would just like to make a comment, not in regards to any specific um, item on any of the podcasts, but I love what you do. I would have to say, after this past week, I've gone through a, a trifecta of very difficult uh, issues. And in talking to many people around uh, around Montana, I'm a traveling salesman, and and people through Facebook, friends on Facebook all over the country, and my wife's friends on Facebook, that this week has been um, a very extremely difficult and challenging week for many people, whether it be mortgage issues, health issues, financial issues, job crisis, uh, many of these things you know that the daily average person has to deal with and make sure that they get by and live paycheck to paycheck. I'd say I think all this uh, fighting and infighting uh, over the election and the campaign that's been going on and, and the espousing that this is one of the most important campaigns of all of all time here in the United States, I think is what's happening is karmically it is drawing a very dark and black cloud over our country and no longer can we have true meaningful dialogue and conversation to resolve our issues that we have. Uh, and the direction for us to go cannot get there because we have become so polarized and so uh, separated uh, into groups, <coughs> whether it be polling or what have you. We can't. We can no longer have these conversations that were once a bastion of our uh, ability to have that freedom of speech here in this country, and it's now been too. It's been taken away because of what has happened 
over the past four years, and really over the past 12 years, since about 2000, in my opinion. Uh, I hope that maybe in the future with some of your podcasts we can try to find uh, good co- topics that help promote what has gone right. Uh, and with your uh, activism update, I think those are great things, and maybe finding things that she's done in activism situations that have made positive changes in people's lives would be a good thing to highlight uh, in some of the podcasts of the future. I'm sure I know you've done some of that in the past. I think that would be something great to focus on to show that the common person can still get by and still do a good job and still enjoy their life. Uh, Montana up here is a great state and it is very much a red state, but people here in Montana still have ability to come to common ground and compromise and, and get their job done when it really matters. So be well, do all the stuff you can, keep up the good work and, uh, Have a great day. Hey, Jay, this is Matt in uh, Reading, Pennsylvania. Um, I just wanted to put out kind of a different uh, for you uh, activist call to action. Um, Pandora, actually, Tim Westergren of Pandora Radio, he's the founder, uh, put out a call uh, among his mailing list this week asking for people to... uh, call their senators to support the Internet Radio Fairness Act. Um, this may not seem big in the scale of things when it comes to, you know, our show, your show dealing with, like, human rights and stuff like that, uh, but it does go to the heart of a lot of important issues surrounding Internet broadcasting, including net neutrality and uh, antitrust uh, laws for the, the Internet, stuff like that. Tim has been a tireless supporter uh crusader, I guess, for fairness of uh, broadcasters online, So, and I'm sure you've probably seen his work in, in with your involvement in podcasting and such uh, over the years. So uh, I just wanted to encourage people to go to Pandora and check out Tim's uh, words there, or uh, if you search Twitter for hashtag fairnet radio, uh, that'll get you to the information you need. Uh, I put up a, an online petition to make it easy to send emails to your um, senators that way uh, with your support, um, but you can also call them directly or, like I said, contact or, you know, check out Pandora.com and uh, see what they have to say about it. So, like I said, I, I realize it's it's not, uh, it may not seem like much in the scale of politics and everything else going on right now, but uh, it is important. It's, it's a small issue that, that could uh, be great uh, over the long run, and we'd appreciate your help. Thanks a lot. Bye-bye. Yes, um, I'm calling about the the necessity of keeping people's feelings from being hurt by showing images of Muhammad or whatever. Um, When the gay and lesbian lesbian choral movement started back in the 80s, um, we were getting death threats. We were getting told by people that we should not do what we're doing because it was offensive to them, it was offensive to their religion, and we were told by some people it would bomb the venues that we're working in. We decided not to go back in the closet. We decided to allow our audiences to have the choice as to whether to brave these domestic terrorist threats or to um, help in a movement which has become worldwide. I don't believe it is ever right to allow bigots and terrorists to take the control of any discussion. And I, for one, will not do that. Now, I have watched the clip, and it is disgusting. It is stupid. It is badly made. 
However, bad art is preferable to blowing people up. I myself am offended by people blowing other people up. So therefore, if they expect me to, to accept their morality, then they should accept mine that blowing up people is wrong. Hi Jay, this is Byron calling from Greensburg, North Carolina. Uh, I just wanted to respond to the caller in your most recent show who was responding to a caller in the previous show. I could not agree more, and I don't understand how a liberal could be frustrated with liberals who are frustrated with Obama not being liberal enough. I just think that sitting back and being complacent with the guy you voted for, no matter what, doesn't get anything accomplished. And I don't, I don't know that guy, the original caller, is just too complacent or not paying attention, but... I don't see how you can ignore the drone strikes that deported immigrants, the, the medicinal marijuana raids that have already exceeded those during Bush's two terms, and the fact that Obama originally pledged to keep feds out of dispensaries operating within state law just makes that even worse. It's just weird that you know the most crucial swing state, I guess, Colorado, has this booming medicinal marijuana industry and Obama still hasn't felt the need to relax this war on weed or even address it. Uh, it makes it seem like he hasn't felt the need to really work for the liberal vote because his, his opponent is so bad. Like, he can just let Romney run his mouth and then disagree and look great in comparison. Uh, and he is great in comparison, but there's a lot that liberals need to hold him accountable for and, and while I'm on the topic of weed uh, I'm curious curious as to why it's not never covered in the show I mean three states are voting to legalize it in November and I just think that's such a huge deal for the progressive agenda I'm not trying to criticize and I really didn't even mean for that to turn into a rant about weed maybe I did anyway I enjoy the show keep up the good work Thanks for listening, everyone, and thanks to all those who called into the voicemail line. If you would like to leave a comment, question, or activist call to action yourself to be played on the show, the number to dial is 206-202-3410. And so the first thing I want to say is that in addition to this show, there is an animated video that talks about the criminalization and advocates for the legalization of marijuana that I really think that you guys should see. Uh, it, it has no narration or uh, dialogue whatsoever, so it doesn't make sense to put it in the show, uh, but it is linked in the show notes it is embedded on the website and then if you go to the website to, to watch it you, there are going to be the, the really easy uh, share links if you want to put that on your uh, you know facebook or twitter feeds and all of that stuff uh, i you know i really think if if it made sense to put it in the show it would have been in the show and and um you know is is you know, it's like four minutes long, it's animated, it's interesting, it's fun, and gets the message across, and it's definitely worth sharing. It has, you know, a few thousand views on YouTube. I saw it originally at Netroots Nation when the filmmaker was there, and I was in the session where they were talking about video activism and that sort of thing. And, you know, it was great, and, that, like, everyone loves it. So check that out on the website. Uh, secondly, just to answer uh, the guy's question about why I so rarely do episodes on the drug war, 
Uh, it's pretty simple. People don't talk about it very often. Um, I, I just went back in the archives to look. I searched for drug war on my own website, and it turns out that the most recent episode I had done was in August of 2011, which even I was stunned by how long ago that was. So it's not that I don't do them. It's just that it takes a really long time, as, as evidenced by the fact that this episode has clips dating back to January, February, March, May of this year, uh, and I just I had to go back that far just to um, just to gather enough quality clips to to make a full show out of. So that's just sort of the state of affairs on that. But the last thing I want to touch on is, of course, the quote of the day um, by a country mile: "Bad art is preferable to blowing people up," and I think that is something we can definitely come to a universal consensus on and uh i i got a real kick out of that i but of course because i'm a stickler for uh clarity and accuracy i just want to point out that i don't think that it is an apt comparison to uh say that being allowed to draw a picture of muhammad is the same as uh being allowed to come out as a homosexual and, and be accepted in society. You know, one of those things is something that people really have to fight for the right for because their lives sort of depend on it. And the other is just simply different than that. And, and that's why I, I liked the comment in the previous episode so much that said, you simply must ignore it. It doesn't mean you have to actively fight for it or against it. it. It's when people try to use violence to control other people. You simply ignore what they're doing. And so I, I think that, I, you know, I don't, I don't really think there's a lot of disagreement, but I just want to make that clarification uh, based on the comparison that was made in today's call. So that is going to do it for today. Thanks to everyone for listening. Thanks especially to those who support the show by becoming a member or making one-time donations to the show. That is absolutely how the program survives. Of course, everyone can support the show just by telling everyone you know about it and by spreading the word of individual clips you particularly like through your social networks at bestoftheleft.com. Stay tuned into the show between episodes by joining up with us on Facebook and Twitter. And for details on the show itself, including links to all the sources and music used in this and every episode, all that information is always posted in the show notes on the blog. So coming to you from inside the Beltway, yet outside the conventional wisdom of Washington, D.C., my name is Jay, and this has been the Best of the Left podcast coming to you every third day. Thanks entirely to the members and donors to the show from bestoftheleft.com. Upon a picture that wasn't right Bitch burning on a shining sheet The only maker that you want to be A dying man in a living room Whose shadow bases the floor Will take you out in the